Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is January the 15th, 2023, at 2.52 p.m. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting, because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined by Brandon Beaver. Brandon, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm great, man. Hey, guess what? You were down in, on the whole you know, sports betting thing. I put... I, I- I put $1 down and I bet on every single game Friday night in the NBA hit on every one of them 77 bucks. But you know what? And you know what? I will say this. It was a $77 bet because you always say take your money and run. By the time I think it was 8 out of the 10 of the NBA games had already hit, it gave me the option to cash out for like 38 bucks. I took it. Nice. That, that's made safe 77, bet. But one dollar turned into thirty-eight. Uh, you know, right? That's that's smart, man. Look at you, man. Yeah, you know, I again, I will never, never promote gambling as a way to make money, um, and I, I, I will never promote it as sports entertainment. You either. know what it is? It's it's not really a way to make money. It's just a way to have fun. And, and, and it's only if you don't take it too far, you know, and it, and it kind of like the only, the only thing that's similar in sports betting and stocks is that you never want to use more than you can lose. That's it. You just, and, and then you just like, it's play money. Like take, you know, if, if you decide not to go out, you know, on a date on a Friday night or something like that, or if you decide not to go out and do something for fun, take the money that you would use for fun and 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 bet and that's it you know just have fun with it it's fun money it's not supposed to be something that makes you a million bucks right right so there you go man i just i don't know i even as sports entertainment like you're saying entertainment purposes still big no for me that's a no for me dog no sorry i'm not gonna do that um, I will say, guys. Uh, I know. Uh, I know you guys are so interested in my my workout routine and diet and all that, guys. But I'm going to share it with you anyways because this is our show. Um, <laughs> I am down 15 pounds so far, whoop, whoop, and whoop. going strong. I got a good group of people that are joining me that we work together and we help each other, and it's I'm feeling good about it. Um, I feel like my skin feels better. I've been eating healthier. Uh, drinking more water and it's it's been all around great. So I'm losing weight. Uh, my income goes up, continues to go up. I am six feet tall. Uh, so if there's there's if there's anybody out there that would like to date me, not you, Brandon. Sorry. Um, feel free to reach out. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, but yes, I'm losing weight. F45 training, guys. I enjoy it. I love it. Find it in your local area uh, and do it. What do you say we get some financial and investment stuff, huh? What's that? You want to talk about that? I know, right? What is that? You know, who who talks about stocks? What, I um, it was a podcast. <laughs> All right, so bills. <laughs> Keep the lead. Rules, rules, rules. Uh, Brandon and I get together five to ten minutes before the show, and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. You actually hear the live discussion back and forth here on the show. Brandon agreed to let me go first of one topic and one topic only, and then he'll take it over from there. So uh, I get to talk about this topic, and it's something I talked about previously last year. I've mentioned this a couple times last year, and what I, and the the way I was mentioned is uh, we were talking about what kind of dominoes would have to start falling 
in order for us to see the U.S. economy sinking. And that was in the that's the context sort of what this 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 came up as. And I brought up the Apple, the Apple uh, credit card. And, and I said that the Apple credit card has been put out there to a, a, a large amount of subprime users have an Apple credit card. I said the only good thing about going for it is Goldman Sachs is backing it up financially. Now, the Apple credit card did not come out. Uh, it came out uh, during COVID. It came out right before COVID. Uh, the end of Q, I think it was Q4 of 2019 is when it is when it actually came out. And it was only to Apple people and so on and so forth. So it came out during COVID. Everybody had their stimulus checks. Everybody was getting all these other bonus checks and different things coming in. You could switch jobs and move up and get your income higher. And people were getting Apple credit cards. And I said, you know, with the high subprime usage of this card, if I start to see this card fail, I would think that the economy would be on a domino effect to happen next. Now, having said that, do I believe that this card is failing? No, I don't believe it's failing, but it's not looking good. So let me give you some numbers, Brandon, before I give you a, a chance. I'm going to give you some numbers, then I'm going to let you talk, and then I'm going to give you some more numbers. Cool? Yeah. All right. So some of the numbers I'm going to give you. Um Looking back from 2020 through the end of September 2022, the losses of the Apple credit card was $3 billion. That's a loss. That's a net loss of the Apple credit card was $3 billion in net losses. Um, but when Q4 results of 2022 were included, it ex- it w- it's been expected it's going to rise to $4 billion. It hasn't been announced yet, but the expectation is going to jump up to $4 billion. That's a $1 billion loss. In the Q4 of 2022, this was what I was afraid of. We're going to start seeing mountain losses and people just say, you know what? I'm not going to pay that off. I'm going to dump this card and just not use it because I can't afford it. That is a scary situation, I believe, for a brand new credit card. It's only been out since 2019 and it's high subprime usage. Thoughts on just that basic information? No, it's just surprising to me that... uh... A company like Apple would be dealing with this. Now, granted, it's more on Goldman Sachs being a, a the financer of it, but still. Well, here here's the thing: is and now that you say that, right? So let me give you some more information: is that Apple is saying that they can they can turn this around and they can make this card profitable, or or at least break even by 2025. Now, Goldman Sachs is is you know they. They're kind of hesitant to give Apple more money for this, which they shouldn't have to because Apple should have plenty of money on hand. But it's an agreement they have with Goldman Sachs back and forth. Goldman Sachs is a little hesitant to give them more money in order to make that happen, which is what they need to do. And they need to pump in a few billion in order to turn this and make it possibly break even by 2025, which is what Apple says they can do. But Goldman Sachs is reluctant to give them that money. So they might have to restructure the agreement where Apple uses their own money. I'd be hesitant too, at least through this year. You know, not, not knowing what kind of recession we face. Um, I, I think it's a win, not if, and, and, and it's a how deep, not if question. And not knowing those things, I, I, I would be hesitant as well. And it, for me, it's a surprise. It's not well. It, it's not surprising uh, in that I was thinking that this might happen last fall. If you listen to our show and you can, you're a continued listener, if you listen to our show last fall, I said that this might happen, right? 
that where it's going to continue to get worse for Apple and their and their credit card. We talked about this. So it's not surprising, but what's surprising to me is that a company like Apple yeah. is having trouble with a credit card. And and it's because they're they're they they push it on subprime users, people who just don't have the credit score for this type of credit card in order to build a base of users. Anybody that had uh, certain Apple subscriptions or Apple products was, you know, pretty much guaranteed that, you know, like the basic was at two, four hundred dollar uh, credit limits on a basic credit card for low credit score. And so they're just racking up the the debt and they're just slow to pay it off or yeah. they're not paying it off at all. And I this is a problem when we when we try. Brandon, I, I don't mean to cut you off here, but I'm going to continue. Let me make this last point. This is a problem when we try to give loans or finances to, to, to people who haven't figured out how to to correctly budget and uh, and actually get their, their finances in order. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Like, how many people have you met that don't have jobs, don't have any form of income, may or may not be on welfare, you know, maybe even a couple kids, whatever, but yet they still have got the latest and greatest iPhone because they want to keep up with the Joneses. <sighs> Uh, so yeah, you offer a credit card to people that are subprime that really can't afford an iPhone, but they almost see it like kind of as a free iPhone. That's, I mean, that's what it is to them. Like they're not going to pay it down. You know, it, it it was you know not a good idea to go subprime on on it. He gets a one thousand two hundred dollar device, <laughs> and and that's what most people are using it for is to purchase their Apple devices and pay for their Apple subscriptions and, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and yeah, it, I mean, this, this need for Americans to, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be preachy. So I'll make this real quick, but the need for Americans to go ahead and have the latest and greatest is, is ridiculous. Uh, but besides that, I think that uh, this is a bad move for Apple and uh, they're going to have to find a way to pump in the money. They have the cash on hand to save this, to save this credit card. The question is, are they going to save it? Are they going to pump in the cash to save it? Is this where they want to go, or are, are they going to call say this is a loss and move on from here? You push push down the break even on it of uh, as far as the timeline goes. Push that back. Increase the credit uh, limit that's needed. That's the, <laughs> that's the long term way of doing it. And you know what, what what really sucks about it is the fact that if you're increasing the credit limit on it and you're not going subprime, then there's going to be even less customers, especially this year if we go into a recession. Because more people are going to have their credit ratings go down. But I still think that's the best way to go about it, just to improve the default rating. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Improve the default rating, but yes. And I agree with you. There are going to be fewer prime uh, uh, consumers out there ready to, who can get those loans quickly by the end of the year because of, uh, of the recession. But we'll get into that later because we're going to talk about banks and everything. And I have a lot of information on that. Um, but yeah, for, as far as Apple goes, uh, this is not a good situation for them and it's not failed. So I said, if it failed, that would start the tumbling of the, uh, us economy first domino to fall, but it has not failed yet. It's just not producing a profit, but it had a billion dollar possible possibly they haven't reported yet, but everybody's expecting a billion dollar loss in Q4 of last year for this credit card alone. That is crazy, guys. That is that is insane for something like for something like that. But you know, it is what it is. And I think Apple has the cash right now to fix this. Uh, but they got to work that off Goldman Sachs. I don't like. It. I'm watching the situation. I'm going to continue to watch the situation, and we're going to continue to see uh, what happens with that because to me, it's an indicator, and I'm watching it to see if this is going to fall or not. 
the Goldman Sachs reports on Tuesday. I wonder if they'll comment on it. They may. I mean, they commented in the, the two articles I read today um, about it. So, I mean, it's but it was just one line comments. Uh, nothing, nothing in detail like what we would like, <laughs> because they Goldman Sachs has a lot more going on than just the, the Apple credit card. Brandon, what do you have, man? Go ahead. All right. So let's start here. Um, just the fact that 61 percent of economists pulled by The Wall Street Journal are saying that we're going to have a recession this year in the next 12 months. This is a historically high percentage of economists saying that we're going to be in a recession when we're not already in one. So take that as 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 you will. You know, are are we expecting a recession that's not going to come? I honestly think it will. Let's let's look at the uh, the CPI real quick because this also interested me as it was in the same poll. Um, inflation eased from nine point one percent from last June to six point five percent in December. Now economists expect it to fall to 3.1% by the end of this year. That's a large drop in inflation growth. And they're expecting 2.4% ending 2024. So that might sound like it's a good thing, but you have to think about like what has to happen to bring inflation down that quickly to those levels. And it would have to be a recession. I think it's actually like you, you know, you say, oh, three percent, three percent inflation. That's awesome. By the end of this year, that's great. But uh, when you think about the steps we have to take to get there, not so much. Well, and here's here's another thing. So a lot of people who we get uh, a large chunk of our listeners who are brand new to investing and brand new to stocks, and and I like to explain some things more, and maybe they can explain it to their friends after they hear it from us. But when Brandon's talking about like inflation is going to drop back down to two percent, that doesn't mean egg prices are going to come down. Egg prices are going to stay at where they're at. All right, they're not going to lower egg prices. They're just only gonna, they're going to start going back up every year at a normal rate. So it's going to take you a number of years to get back to where you were as far as your income versus your uh, out, outbound, if you yeah. will, you know, on, on your uh, household budgets. It's going to take a number of years to get back to where we were pre this high inflation. Purchasing, pla- purchasing power has been greatly reduced. Yeah, it's going to stay greatly reduced is my point. And it, we're not going to see it back there for, for years. Even if yeah. we get, tackle inflation this year, it's going to take what they say, what, three years at least to get purchasing power back to where it was. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And who knows? Who knows if it if it even be then. But uh, last week, earnings uh, kicked off JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie, Di- Jamie Dimon. Speaking of the potential recession, he warned of economic uncertainty even as consumers continue to spend and businesses remain healthy. We still do not know the ultimate effect of the headwinds coming from geopolitical tensions, including the war in Ukraine, the vulnerable state of energy and food supplies, persistent inflation that is eroding purchasing power and has pushed interest rates higher and the unprecedented quantitative tightening diamond said. And then he said, we do not know the future. For a guy that's as intelligent of Jamie Di- as, and Jamie, as Jamie Dimon, excuse me, to say we do not know the future, uh, a guy that is continuously on a day-to-day basis studying the economy and trying to figure out where we're going to go, to say he doesn't know, that's it's kind of, uh, kind of rattling a little bit. The uncertainties are real, and we hope they go away, but they may not. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I mean, so I, I agree with your point that, like, you know, Jamie Dimon is one of these people that are meant to be, you know, ahead of the game, part of the inside group of people that kind of know which way the world is heading or the U.S. at very least is heading. 
and for him to come out public and say, you know, I have no idea where we're going to go. Um, I like that he listed a lot of those headwinds because a lot of people are un- don't want to list all those headwinds that he listed. And it is something to look forward to. And, and I think inflation is going to remain. I don't I can't see him dropping the two percent because we have a uh, was it a budget deadline coming up on Thursday? And, you know, Congress is going to pass more money than what they need. Yep. And thus inflation is going to stay higher because of that. It doesn't matter which groups in power. This is what happens every time. This is why I'm a big proponent of pay as you go for the economy from a strictly economic standpoint, not political, economic pay as you go is where we need to get back to. But however, saying all that inflation, I can't see where it's where it's, it's going to drop down to 2% this year. No, I can't see that. If it does, great. But like you said, that means that we're, we're going to have a hard, heavy recession to get there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially with the government spending the way that they're spending. And, you know, you're just talking about that. Like, if you, anytime you spend something that you, you know, on something that you can't pay for, it's inflationary. If you're not paying yeah. for it, it's inflationary. Inflation is the result of society wanting things that they can't pay for. That's what it is. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Wells Fargo also reported earnings, and this was, I think it was an interesting earnings report just because they're one of the largest home lenders in America, and they're actually reducing the size of their home mortgage business, and um, their uh, consumer banking and lending increased actually 4%, um, and banking loans actually climbed 18%, so I don't know what that has to say other than maybe, you know, persistent inflation. I don't know. Uh, that was a kind of conflicting information there. And both uh, Goldman Sachs, and let's not forget you, we were talking about J.P. Morgan there. They're both uh, laying off a large percentage of their workforce. Wells Fargo said that it was a moderate size of their workforce. Goldman Sachs said 8%. So Wells Fargo had a 50% drop in income uh, net profit uh, uh, for 2022. Uh, That's not good, bro. And I think it's because they were heavy into the mortgage market. And that's why they're cutting back on that. They were so heavily into it that they needed they needed to trim it. And that's where they're trimming. I mean, with all the big banks right now, you have profits ranging from up 6% to down 50%, which is where Wells Fargo is. And these are the big banks. I'm not talking about your regional, but I'm talking about the big banks. And it, it it's it's outrageous that they had that big of range because they still are moving as a sector. You know, because on 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 Friday you had J.P. Morgan up two point five percent, you had Bank of America up two point five percent, City at one point eight percent, and Wells up three point five percent, and it's the yeah. one that's really you know hurting the most. And they're still moving as a sector, even though the range of of profits is so wide within those that you know when when these drop as a sector, you know you might want to go in there and buy those J.P. Morgans, which had a six percent gain in, in their net profit that's one i would be looking at when the whole sector drops and uh when the sector goes up maybe you do a put even right now on wells fargo because this mortgage uh is going to get even this mortgage uh i, I don't want to say crisis yet but the mortgage downturn that's happening right now is going to get deeper wells fargo is going to lose more money um because they were up on on friday i may even be looking at a put on them come monday morning or no tuesday I morning i agree tuesday. i agree and that the, the the correlation of their movements is going to break at some point. I think people just were excited about 6.5% inflation for some reason. 
Well, I mean, I, we talked about it in the show, and I and I said, look, I'm looking for a number under six percent. I said, if it goes lower at all, I'm just I'm, I'll be happy. But under six percent is where I thought that the markets would roar yeah. and just completely skyrocket like to the moon. And it didn't skyrocket to the moon because we didn't see that number, but we still saw it's it's a decent number. But we need more. We need more of a movement. I, I don't know if we're going to hit two percent this year, though. Right. Right. So do you want let, let's go into a little bit what I'm more of what I'm looking for for this week, because I don't really have anything in particular that I'm looking to buy at this moment at these levels. Um, I think we've rallied too much too quick. It's an interesting week coming up this week as far as earnings go. And I think this week's going to tell us a lot about the macroeconomic uh, picture. And so, for example, Wednesday, PNC Bank uh, reports now in the previous quarter, their net income increased by 10.2% year over year. What I'm really looking for PNC Bank is I want to know savings rates. How much How much has savings rate increased or decreased? That's really what I want to see from PNC just to tell us, you know, the macroeconomic picture. If you're not on the East Coast, uh, just so you know, East Coast, uh, PNC is one of the largest regional banks um, over here. All right. So you brought up savings rate, right? Savings rate. Yes, I have some stuff on savings rate. Oh, um, so Jamie Dimon was uh, talking about the savings rate and how there's increased uh, competition for higher rates among other banks. Now, what is he mainly talking about here? Jamie Dimon is mainly talking about, get this, here we go again. I know this is not your favorite company at all. But they are leading the way in the innovation in a, yet again, and it's Robinhood, with their high interest savings rates. And because of that, Jamie Dimon has come out and made a comment saying now there is increased pressure to raise savings rates among all banks, and we need to act as if this is going to be the new trend. So in 2023, you're going to see savings rates go higher, which means the banks get less of that money. They because they have to it has to come out of their their profit their costs to cover that higher savings rate and it's all because yet again a small startup Robinhood is changing the way that these bigger banks are doing things. Robinhood's always been innovative, and they've always known how to be innovative. They just don't know how to handle money. Yeah, that, all right. Yeah, I'll give you that. <laughs> also on Wednesday, Kendra Morgan. Uh, they report, and and I'm really looking at Kinder Morgan because I want to know what they see as far as oil and energy prices go. Uh, as far as Kinder Morgan goes, uh, Permian Highway project entered service in January of 2021. KMI, which is the ticker symbol for uh, Kinder Morgan, uh, they move about 40% of the U.S. natural gas volume. So they'll have a lot to say, I think, about what our energy prices are looking uh, at in the future. And they also move 50% of gas intended for export. So they'll be telling us a lot, I think, about what the continued effect of the war in Ukraine is and so many other uh, geopolitical issues that we're dealing with today. I think we'll get a little bit more clarity from Kendra Morgan's report. I would be interested to see what they say about the Ukraine situation there, uh, where they think that's going to end up and how it's going to go, because Russia is coming out uh, a lot recently saying that they are willing to sit down with peace talks. But we all know that Ukraine uh, has come out and said uh, the only peace talks we want is you leave all of our lands. And so, I mean, there's there, the, the, right now there, there's no agreement, which I don't I look, I, I'm not going to get political, but I mean, 
I, I don't blame Ukraine for saying that. Just get out of all of our lands. Yeah. You know, if I was Ukraine, I would probably say the same thing. However, I'm not Ukraine. Um, yeah. uh, natural gas, uh, based off that situation, there's going to be a big thing because of Nord Stream pipeline. And, you know, they, they want to see that open back up. They want to see no sabotages in the Nord Stream pipeline. And they want to see it running so that Europe could get natural gas at a lower cost again. Because right now, Europe is suffering with extremely high costs of natural gas and oil and is hurting them horribly. Now on the logistics side on Wednesday, also JB Hunt transportation, uh, they report and they're in the transportation logistics uh, industry. Now freight demand, it's in t- it's tied to industrial production. It's tied to consumer activity, other uh, cyclical risks and recession risks and, um, all this stuff can cause sharp declines in demands for raw materials and finished goods, freights, things like that. So this is one. This is the reason why I'm looking at JP JB Hunt. I want to see what they have to say about the economy and where it's at now and where we're going. Now, as far as this company goes, they're in a highly fragmented, highly competitive industry. I'm not looking to buy them. I just want to hear their commentary. So I think that a better if you're going to look at transportation and a, a as far as to give you an indicator of how the overall economy is going to go, I prefer the railroads over like a, a trucking situation. Uh, one of the reasons I'll be looking at JB Hunt would be look at some of the results from their partnership with Wamo and, and to see how that is growing, what their plans are for that part of the uh, that company to grow to see how many more of those uh, cities and, and and lanes can they expand out to because the more lanes they have, um, the more money that J.B. Hunt's going to make uh, in their partnership with Whammo uh, because they don't have to pay truck drivers. And now we don't have to deal with truck drivers and we can just plug it in the computer, send it, boom, truck shows up at the next terminal and uh, it goes and there's no more. It, it gets rid of all these middlemen. It gets rid of... Uh, uh, the truck drivers, it gets rid of a lot of things that are uh, taking in all this money and cash in, in the U.S. economy, and uh, it could it could actually make it even safer. So I would be interested to see how the growth is going with J.B. Hunt and Whammo. That's where I'll be looking at. But as far as like transportation as a whole, I prefer using the railroads as an indicator and a guide to tell me how the U.S. economy is looking. Okay, why is that? Uh, the, the, the railroads, they everybody, J.B. Hunt – um swift um you know schneider all the big ones they all go and use utilize the railroads everybody has to use the railroads it's the cheapest way to ship things across country long distances is railroads i mean that's so you 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 really to me that shows me a bigger picture instead of just like okay jb hunt is you know they only work with like a few of these companies here, this company there, the railroads work with everybody. That's true. So it's it's an overall. It's like looking at the uh, uh, a a Russell one hundred versus the S and P five hundred. I want I get five hundred company view here versus one hundred company view here, and I get a better overall experience. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes sense. On Thursday, Procter and Gamble reports, and here's what I'm looking for with P and G. I want to know what the commentary is on the effects of oil costs. Uh, I want to know if consumers are still trading down to private label brands or if they're actually like trading out completely of PNG products and if PNG is losing market share. I want to know what they have to say about currency headwinds. And I want to know what they have to say about e-commerce because surprisingly for PNG, e-commerce sales increased 11% in FY22. 
and they represent over $11 billion in sales. This is 14% of Procter & Gamble's revenue is e-commerce. So that actually, that surprised me a lot because when I think of Procter & Gamble, I think the stuff that will you actually go to Kroger or to Walmart to buy. Yeah, like toothpaste and toilet paper. And yeah, I mean, nobody thinks of like things you order online. Yeah. So since the same uh, quarter uh, one year ago, revenue slightly increased 1.3%. Uh, growth does not appear to have trickled down to the company's body bottom line, and uh, they've had a decline in earnings per share. Yet they're still trading at a twenty six. Uh, they're still trading at uh, twenty six times earnings. So I'm not touching this uh, this company. I do like the company. I like the way that it uh, operates. They do have a fifty percent gross uh, profit margin. They've got an eighteen percent net margin, which is really high for their sector. Uh, but that uh, that uh, 26 time, uh, times earnings, that's too high for me. And it just doesn't make any sense for this company to be trading as high as it is. Even after being down, I think, uh, about 4 to 5% over the past 12 months, still overvalued. And I just, you know, the price doesn't make any sense. So I'm not buying it, but I'm still going to listen to that earnings call again just to hear what they have to say about the overall economy. Gotcha. And Procter Gamble is a good gauge of the overall economy, but I'm more interested in uh, their pharmaceutical because there has been less acquisitions from uh, the likes of P&G, J&J, Merck, uh, Bristol-Myers, so on and so forth of the smaller biopharmals. So I'm wondering, are, do we have any innovations coming up? Are pipelines drying up? What's going on? Um, I haven't looked at the pharmaceutical industry or sector in a number of years. I used to trade it all the time. So I'm I'm very interested to see where it is right now what what the pipelines are looking like because i haven't heard much big news so that, that makes me concerned um, i think COVID, i think covid was a big push and everybody was focused there that all the other uh projects lost money and uh they have been slow to get back up and running well pharmaceuticals is you know it's a staple so even during a covid downturn people still need you know their uh their drugs yeah but i'm talking about the research and development areas in order to produce uh new and innovative uh medical solutions for problems not and i think covid when it happened everybody put money into covid uh solutions and it took some of that money out of other solutions and now and now we're getting back to a more normal uh uh running of these these companies and i would like to see how their pipeline looks now yeah, and they're still doing it too. It seems like you know every other month I hear of a new COVID treatment coming out, or somebody's recommending something else for COVID. It's uh, so I, I think that's still a large focus from the uh, pharmaceuticals company is COVID. Don't don't you have like all the antibodies for all the strains, Brandon? You've had COVID like five times. You would think so. Third time <laughs> was the last time I had it. Was my third time, and they put me on Paxlovid. I, I don't even know what that is. I don't. You know, it's it's a it's a concoction of like three different antibodies or something like that. And it's same day Thursday. Netflix reports this is actually a company that I'm listening to because I'm thinking about buying, even though they've had a 32 percent increase in the price of the stock since the last quarter. But uh, some some interesting things that I'm looking at here: the fact that they've ditched guidance on net subscriber additions, instead they're focusing on financial numbers such as revenue, earnings, and operating margin. And I think there's two ways to look at this. They're, they're ditching the, the subscriber growth, right? So does that mean that it's past its growth phase? Does that mean that it deserves a lower valuation that's more reserved for mature companies? 
Or can you look at this and say, now we're beyond the ad subscribers at all cost phase. And now we're beyond adding subscribers at, at you know, even the cost of eating up er earnings and, er you know, and, and margins and all of that. We're beyond that. So now we can focus on profitability and therefore earnings can go higher. I don't know, man. Uh, I think they can focus. I, I do like that last statement there. Focus on profitability so their earnings can go higher. Uh, yes, yes. And and they can do that in, in with uh, not focusing on subscriber base. But the problem is, and here's the problem. See, they was reported uh, last quarter on their ad base that uh, Netflix had to return some of the money for the ad subscribers because there was not enough people viewing those ads. Because when they sign these agreements, they say, you know, hey, we'll give you five million, and if X amount of people don't watch it, then you we we get two and a half back. And uh, that's kind of the setup that uh, Netflix had with some of these advertisers, and they had to give some of the money back because not enough people are watching the ads. And I think it's because it's not a big enough savings to make it worthwhile. And so. It, it, when you, when you're going from like what fifteen bucks down to five, it's a ten dollars savings. They're like, I'll just pay the ten bucks. I don't have to watch ads, and that's what people are doing. And Netflix is not making as much money as they thought they would. It, uh, it needs to be a bigger difference in pay, like a twenty four a month plan versus a five dollar a month plan. Okay, people are going to go with the uh, the ad then because now there's a big difference. But when it's only like a ten dollar difference, people. Are, I, I mean, I have HBO Max, and I'll use that example. It's 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 less than ten dollar difference between the ad and the no ads, so I just pay the difference. So I just have no ads because I don't want to deal with it. So you hit on it. You hit on the next thing that I want to look at is is how is that lower cost ad tiered plan? How is that performing? Because they've introduced that now and and it's up and running and and I want to know how it's doing. Right now, an annual poll of major ad buyers, fifty of them, um, and this was from market re researcher Cohen. Uh, they found that 41% expect that their largest clients to advertise on Netflix. So that seems good. But what you just said, that's kind of, you know, counter to, to that. So uh, we'll see how that's panning out. Now, I do think that they have one big advantage. They're not held back by costly mergers and acquisitions like their peers. They have strong original content here, so they don't have to buy content from everybody else like, you know, the Peacock app has been doing. Um, Comcast, they've bought content from other people. Um, you know, there's been uh, bidding wars for uh, shows like Friends and Seinfeld and, and all that. So Netflix doesn't really have to, you know, do that. They do have like Seinfeld and stuff like that on there, but they've got such strong original content that they don't have to pay up for South Park, you know like uh, Peacock did, for example. Now, one interesting thing that came out uh, over the past week that caught me off guard, one of the uh, one of the interested parties in buying WWE is Netflix. Nice, nice. I, and you told me about this, and I, you know, I thought at the time that would be a great fit for Netflix. Um, but uh, doesn't WWE already have an agreement with another company? They've got it with Peacock, but I mean, if Netflix buys it, then you know, do they get know. all the old content and Peacock can't stream it? One of the things see, I, the, I want to see the contracts. I want to yeah, see the contracts. Yeah, to see so, if this is worthwhile. So one of the things that pe people don't know is that WWE was actually a pioneer in streaming. Um, 
Netflix was already around, sure, Hulu was already around and all that, but as far as niche branded streaming services go, there was nothing else other than WWE. You know, the WWE app solely dedicated to professional wrestling and their WWE content. They've got so much of it. Going back, you know, 50 to 60, 75 even years, they've got content like you you could spend your entire life watching all of the content that WWE has put out and probably still not get through all of it. So the WWE Network was very, very, very innovative for its time back in, I think, 2012. Um, and then WWE signed that contract with Peacock and put all of the network stuff on the Peacock app. So it's in, I don't I don't know. I don't know what happens to that. Um, I'm sure that they would migrate all of the WWE content to Netflix. Hmm. We will, we will have to see how that plays out, but uh, yeah, I think uh, they're going to be bought up, but they've already gapped up. The price is already gapped up. I'm not a buyer. Yeah, it's, not uh, um, I wouldn't buy it, but I, uh, I am interested to see how this plays out because if Netflix buys it up, that actually might help Netflix in uh, their subscriber base and uh, it help it grow a little. But once again, it depends on how much they pay. I mean, because the stock prices came up so much. You know, and they'll probably have to pay more per share than what the stock price is right now to get the deal done. So no, no, you don't have to. That could just be people people driving it up. It's like, all right, so when GameStop went up to four hundred dollars a share, are you going to say, oh, if you wanted to buy GameStop, you got to pay five hundred? No, well, you, you're still going to pay ten or five. No, but but how are shareholders going to um, approve a deal if they're going to lose money on it? They're not losing money. They made a lot of money the past week. So they wouldn't be losing money. It's gone up. They they are profitable. If if I was them, honestly, I would sell. <laughs> I would take oh, my profit. So. I would take my profit and I would sell right I'd now because they right made a good amount of money. Yeah. yeah. I would I would get out right now too. But if you're a shareholder that just bought in like the past two days, I mean, granted, that's probably mostly retail investors that won't have, you know, that many voting rights, but still. Yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out. And I think the Saudis were going to buy it for 105 a share, but that was just a rumor. They were. They were. Um, the Saudis are buying a lot more sports entertainment and moving things over there to the Middle East. Like the upcoming uh, heavyweight uh, unification bout. All the heavyweight titles of the world, the major ones for boxing, are going to be put on the line in the Tyson Fury versus Alexander Yusk fight coming up in March. I'm going to be watching. I'm a big boxing fan. I will be watching it. But the thing is, I'll be watching at 11 a.m. in the morning on Saturday because it's going to be in Saudi Arabia. They're going to take uh, from us. (laughs) Budweiser is already owned by a Brazilian company. I can't take it anymore. I know it's not they an American beer wrestling, company anymore. Wrestling, they take our wrestling, they take our culture, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Braden, what else you got, man? That's everything. All right, all right, cool. I, uh, I'm not gonna. I had something more, but you know what? I'm just gonna take it at this point, and I'm gonna go into final thoughts. Final thoughts, Brandon. You always go first. Go ahead. Um, uh, just uh. Keep an eye out for those things that we were talking about in um, as far as the earnings go. Uh, I I didn't mention 
you know, what the expected earnings per share was or revenue was. We've talked about that a lot in the past during earnings. And I think it kind of gets kind of boring when I'm just rattling off numbers. And besides, all you have to do is Google it. So if you want to know what uh, Procter and Gamble and Gamble's uh, expected top line is, you just Google what their expected top line is. It's there you go. All right, guys. Here's what I'm looking at. First of all, Bitcoin did a six and a half percent jump in price. There were over twenty two thousand dollars of Bitcoin again, and uh, it made all the Bitcoin related stocks jump up. Am I jumping on the ship? No. Why? Because the economy is going to go lower. Um, and so I don't want you guys, if you're listening to the show, to chase the dragon and and jump on and try to make money on this going up because you already missed the six and a half percent jump. But it's going to come back down. And if you are a long-term investor in Bitcoin, which I think that's the only way to play Bitcoin right now, um, I would wait for it to come back down before you jump in. Don't chase the dragon on this. That's a warning out here to you guys. Um Tesla's still not moving where I wanted it to move. So I'm going to, that's all I'm going to say on that. I'm very frustrated with that company as far as this stock price. But there are a lot of good opportunities out there. Listen to some of the things we said. Um, there was a put, I said, you know, I would do a put on that on Tuesday on Wells Fargo. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's, there's other things to look at here in the uh, economy and things coming up to play off of. Use that study. Take it to the economic calendar. It's on Fidelity. You can find it for free, and they can tell you what's coming up on the next week. Just do your research, guys. Do your research. Do your research. Do your research. Let's have make a ton of money this year. I think, Brandon, you called last year. Uh, here's what I'm going to say. This year, I think we're going to have a mixed bag. You're going to have people 50% of people make money, 50% of people not make money. And the difference is the people who are buying when it's low versus the people who buy after something's already gapped up and taking the move. That's going to be the difference of this year between for the retail traders I'm talking about. Are you patient and uh, uh, buying and and holding, or are you buying after it's already ten to move? Because then you're probably going to lose. Hulk Hogan's theme song is not "I Am a Real Saudi Arabian." <laughs> Anyways, on that note, uh, as always, we hope we've been entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.